Welcome to another weekend. It's so good to be with you online, and I'm especially excited today because I'm not alone. Got some people with me on the platform, and I've got some people with me in the room who are socially distanced. And uh, man, it just feels so good uh, just as our restrictions are being lifted to even be in the room with some more people. And uh, if you're watching this thinking, man, I want to be with some people, well, I want to just remind you that we're encouraging our church to begin some watch parties. Now, what's a watch party? A watch party is simply you saying, I want to host some of my friends, people I already know, at my house, and we're going to watch Velocity online together. And to make this a little bit fun for you, we've actually put together some party packs. And if you go to our website, you don't have to do it now, but you can do it this week. Just read about our watch parties. There's a form you can fill out to host one. We're going to send you one of these boxes with all sorts of goodies in it. And I just want to show you some of the things that are in here. First of all, um, we'll send you your very own Velocity branded hand sanitizer. This is nice because uh, it also doubles as anointing oil, and uh, you really get the Holy Spirit moving. Um, we'll send you a COVID key, and what this is is uh, just a tool. It's naturally antimicrobial. It's solid brass. You can use it to open doors and it as germ-free, uh, so that's handy. Uh, we'll send you Velocity masks for everybody who's coming over, so you just let us know how many people you're going to host. We'll send you masks for that. Uh, we'll send you an awesome... Velocity Church decal that you can put on your car or whatever you like to put it on. You probably already have uh, a dozen of these at home, but we'll send you a Velocity Church pen uh, or as many pens as you need for your crew. Uh, a notebook so you can take notes together at church. And finally, uh, I feel like a, a talk show. You want to help me with that, Shark? I feel like a, uh, a talk show host or a, a TV infomercial right now. Um, but we'll send you a culture guide, and uh, we just want to make it fun for you. And if you want to host a watch party with friends, which is basically what we're doing right now, uh, I want to encourage you to go to our website and do that. And some of the people we have with us today that I'm excited about uh, is not only our staff and team, who I'll introduce in a little bit, uh, but we have our prayer team with us. And if you are watching and you need prayer, I want to encourage you that our prayer team is available right now to answer your requests, to pray with you, to encourage you with scripture. Uh, we just want to let you know that this isn't just about hearing a message and going on with your day, but we're a church that really cares about you, cares what you're going through, and we want to agree with you and join with you in prayer. Now, if you are just joining us, we are in a series called Good Medicine, and we're continuing in our series today, even though it's going to be a little bit different. I don't just want to deliver a sermon today as much as I want to demonstrate a standard. And uh, what I hope you see today isn't just to hear a message, but to really see a model of what I believe you're going to begin to do this week and, and in your life. And with the series Good Medicine, we've been teaching the basic beliefs of Christianity. What does it mean to be a Christian? What, what does it mean to hold on to these truths? And we've been doing it uh, around this subject of the Apostles' Creed. Now, I'm excited for this because if there was ever a time where we needed good medicine, which is the thought that, that God's word doesn't just apply to our life, it's really healing. 
I mean, has there ever been a time where we needed healing in our land? Healing from a pandemic virus, healing from fear, healing from injustice, healing from turmoil, healing from so many things, oppression, so many things that are going on. Well, I love how God's word always speaks to our situation. And what we're going to do today is gather around uh, the last part of this creed, not the the total last part, but the last part, which says, if you know, I'm not going to put you on the spot, but if you know it, it says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins. And it's around this statement that I want us to gather as a church today. And uh, with that in mind, I always like to open up with scripture. So if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, I'm going to read to you from Acts chapter 2. Starting in verse 1, this is what it says. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem and God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven were with them. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? There are Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and other parts of Libya near Serene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? This is cool for a few reasons. One, this is kind of like the reversal of the Tower of Babel. If you're familiar with that the language was confused. Nobody understood each other. Here, you've got all these different nations, and everybody is speaking a different language, but everybody is hearing the same thing. And I just want to point out that only the Holy Spirit can take different races, different nationalities, different people groups with different experiences, and bring understanding to everyone. Everybody was speaking different languages, but no matter what was being said, everybody understood. And I want to skip down to verse 37. It says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Because after this happened, everybody wondered what was going on. Peter used this moment to preach the gospel, told them their need to repent. They were cut to the heart. They said, what should we do? So Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Skip down to verse 42. It says, after this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which you could say is kind of like the apostles' creed, the doctrine, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles' 
All the believers were together and had everything in common. So this is interesting to me because this happened at Pentecost, which actually was last Sunday, if uh, you're following the church calendar. Pentecost was a Jewish holiday, but it was also 50 days. That's the 50th, 50th is what it means. Uh, it's 50 days after Passover, after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, the Holy Spirit comes down, and this is the moment that the church is born. Now, what does this have to do with our message today? Well, uh, lots of times when we think of the Holy Spirit, and again, going back to the creed, I believe in the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes I get this question, are you a Holy Spirit church? To which I would answer, absolutely, we are a Holy Spirit church. Now, what people think of when they hear that is, do you have signs and wonders and tongues and interpretation like we read about in Acts 2? And I would say I'm, I'm not against that, I'm for that. But what I would tell you is that when I read about what is a Holy Spirit church, what we see happening is people from every nation coming together being reconciled and having things in common. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. Catholic just means universal, not Roman Catholic. The communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins. I want to call this message today that we're going to get in and discuss, I want to call it a Holy Spirit Church. And, and what I want you to see every week in this series, I've been talking to you not just out of the Apostles' Creed, but I've been referencing this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which talks about we've all been given this ministry of reconciliation, how God the Father was reconciling us to himself. He reconciled us by Jesus' life, his death, burial, and resurrection. And the Holy Spirit has now come, we're talking about today, and given us this ministry of reconciliation. And I just want to tell you that when I think about what the Holy Spirit is, the Holy Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit that's working together with us, that's working in the church to bring people together for the ministry of reconciliation. So that's why I don't just want to give you a message today. I want to give you a model. I want you to see something that I'm hoping that you'll begin to live out. It's not just enough to have a confession of faith. We need to have an expression of faith. We need to make sure that what we're learning is what we're living. So I wanna start this off, and the reason I invited my friends here is because unless you've been living under a rock, you know what's been going on in our world. Our world is crazy right now. And I just wanna acknowledge that there is a lot of hurt a lot of pain, there's a lot of injustice, there's a lot of oppression, there's a lot of evil, there's a lot of sin. And what is the role of the church in that? And I invited some of our staff here. The reason Nate, Marissa, and Shar, who I'll introduce more in just a minute, are here is because they're, they're staff. These are my people. These are people that I live life with every day. Um, we see each other on a daily basis. Uh, we have lots of real talk. 
and I'm so grateful for you. Um, let me introduce you, and then, then I'll share a little bit more. Uh, on the interior, we have Nate. Nate is not only our next-gen director, uh, Nate is part of our lead team. So we hired him. He hasn't been, quite been here a year yet, but a cool thing with Nate, he's going to be ordained later this year. And, uh, and uh, we love him so much. Such an answer to prayer when he came. We're just glad. Uh, thank you for being part of the church. Uh, Marissa Cole. Marissa is part of our creative team, and uh, she's the newest part of our team. She actually started uh, during this pandemic, and uh, obviously with doing church online, we've had a lot more uh, need to, to resource our creative team, and so she's come on staff and new part of the team, but she's just been, I probably saw Char and Marissa more than I saw even, even uh, Pastor Jacob and Pastor Andrew, because... <laughs> These were the two that were setting up the camera. So usually you're on the other side of the camera, but uh, you're on this side of the camera today. And just so thankful for you. Shar has been part of our team now for serving as a creative director for over two years and uh, just has really done a phenomenal job. And when I say that you guys are an answer to prayer, I, I want to set that up because for, for me, I've always prayed since we started this church that we would have a diverse church. And I mean diverse in every way, diverse culturally, diverse racially, diverse generationally. It's not a strategy for me. It's not because it's a nice thing to have. It's because it's really a value. I think the reason it's a value for me is because even uh, what some of you might not know, I, I grew up on the mission field. I've, I've referenced it last week that I've lived in a lot of different cultures and a lot of different church culture. And um, even during a period of my life, I was, uh, I, 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 you're laughing at this. You laugh. So funny. Thank you. Thanks for making me feel good. In a period of my life, um, I was the only white kid in a school of about a thousand people. And when I say that, I think really what was happening is God was planting a seed in my heart. Uh, to recognize that when I would later plant a church and lead a church, I didn't want a church that just looked like me. He really put a, a seat in my heart to, to love and value other cultures. And so when I, when I say that you're an answer to a prayer, it's because I've always wanted a church that looked like heaven. There's going to be lots of different people in heaven. Uh, heaven is not just going to be a, a bunch of white people. And so to have you not just part of our church, but part of the team that's leading the mission of our church to bring those far from God near to life in Christ, I just want to say thank you. I, I think we can, and I'm going to give you a chance to talk because really I want to listen and want to hear from you. But to set this up, I think when we look at what's been happening with all of the racial injustice, there's many people like me, white, who would say, I want to know what I can do and I don't know what to do. And I'm not asking you obviously, to 
uh, here today to speak on behalf of all black people or all black people in our church. I just want you to speak for your own experience. Um, but I, I think so many of us, we, we can be at a loss. And there, there's, there's also uh, a lack of understanding. Sometimes I'm, I'm perplexed at uh, how people can be so divided on something that, to me, uh, seems so basic and so simple. And I wanted to illustrate it this way, and this is, I think, the best way I know how, is if, if I hold up this sheet of paper, uh, those of you who are watching on, on the screen right now, I just want to ask you, tell me, what, what color is this sheet of paper? This is not a trick question. You can just type that in the chat right now, what color is this sheet of paper? And for those of you watching, um, just go ahead and, and say, what, what color is this sheet of paper? Orange. Orange. Now, can I ask you guys, what color is this sheet of paper? Blue. Now, how can you both be looking at the same thing and yet have two completely different answers? Well, that's because the other side of it is blue. And based on where you sit, you have a completely different perspective. And that's really all I wanted to do today is say, Hey, can we just sit with you guys for a minute? Can we just listen? Can, uh, if we can just adjust our position from, from sitting here, from, from sitting where you're sitting, if we could just sit here for a minute and, and, and listen, that's really what I want to do today. And so to set this up, I just want to start with you, Nate. Love you so much. And just share it. A lot of people don't know you. You might want to just share your story or share your experience. Definitely. I think the first thing I want to say is that, Pastor, you don't just say that, but you actually live it out. I think none of us have, like, a doubt in our minds um, just how much you really do love uh, different people. Uh, there's never been a moment where I've been, like, around you where I'm like, man, or I've had to doubt that does this guy really care about me. Um, so you really do um, display that. And... When you asked me to just talk about this, uh, the first thing I think I told you was, hey, like, I'm not speaking for every black man in America, because um, even in the black community, everybody's experience is different, right? So um, for me personally, um, I wouldn't identify as an African-American, but as a Haitian-American, uh, came here when I was 10 years old. I just became a citizen as of uh, yesterday, right? And uh, yeah, I mean, although our country has, has its problems, I'm proud. Uh, to be an American now, for sure. Uh, and, uh, and I think the first thing I want to say is my first exposure, because growing up in Haiti, everybody's, or for the most part, is black, right? You just, you walk outside your house and see black people. If you see a white person, you're like, whoa, <laughs> like, what are you doing here, right? Uh, but um, so first, I think exposure to different races was when I was 10 years old and coming here to America. And I think my first the first thing that I heard from my dad, uh, now you asked me to be candid, as candid as possible, so I'm gonna be candid as possible um, as I'm just telling stories. Uh, the first thing my dad said to me was like, hey, listen, uh, I'm sending you guys to America uh, to have better opportunities. Uh, and listen, the white man's not gonna give you anything, you go out there and get it, right? 
And, uh, and I was like, man, I wonder what he, like, what, he, what, like, what does he mean by that? Because, uh, I mean, I never, I just assumed I'm going to go to work, find a good job. Everybody's going to be nice. Everybody's going to be kind. And so I always wondered what he meant by that. Uh, or when my early years in college, I was just struggling to get through school. Uh, school just didn't come easy for me. Uh, and he would just say, man, I plead with you, my son. Please, I don't want you to end up working minimum wage for the white man. And I was like, man, what does he mean by that? Uh, up until one day before I graduated college, I asked him, I was like, hey, like, tell me your story. Like, tell me your, like, what do you mean by that statement? Tell me your story. Like, how, my dad uh, is an engineer in Haiti. And I was like, like, what was your life like growing up or into your first job? Uh, so he, uh, he went to school, got his engineering degree in Haiti, and his first job was working for an NGO in Haiti. Uh, and uh, he said his experience was that, or his, his boss was a white man. And he said, man, every single time I went to work, like, he looked down on me. Uh, my ideas were passed up. I, I was treated as less than, and he was a superior, and he was, he, like, he knew it all. Uh, so I, I left that job. And it, it kind of just struck a, like a chord in me. I was like, this is so weird. In Haiti, where it's predominantly black, like you have an NGO where there's racism happening, right? So racism doesn't just happen in America. Um, I think it carries over to other places around the world where the mentality, and I think that's what racism is, is kind of thinking that one uh, kind of people is better than another one, right? So I mean, speaking from my dad's uh, experience, uh, or even like traveling with him as an immigrant, uh, he struggles with speaking English. Uh, so I think when we travel together, you just kind of see how he's treated because like he struggled to speak the language, right? Um, so there's different experiences within the black community. Um, as an immigrant, I think uh, when I travel, I think, I think you asked me like, what's the, the thing I'm most excited about becoming an American citizen? I was like, man, the fact that I'll be able to get an American passport, because traveling without an American passport is a pain. Right, uh, like you just get, uh, like you just get asked a ton of questions, and it's just, it's just, it's just hard. And then for my dad, it's up another level because he struggles to speak English. Uh, so just seeing his experience growing up uh, was just, was just different. Or just, um, he lived with this sense of, man, like I just, I traveling is just, it's a pain because you get down on, and it's just, it's just so much, right? And uh, I think the one thing that I've seen the most was when we would go to restaurants, for example. Uh, he would sit down and the waiter would come up to us uh, and ask us, you know, like, hey, uh, what would you like to order? And my dad's kind of just struggling to answer the question because he's trying to piece things together. He doesn't speak the language. It's hard for him, right? And then it doesn't take more than two seconds to see the look on the waiter's face of just being so frustrated or impatient uh, with this man who's, trying to, who's struggling to put some words together. And uh, that, that would always just kind of rub me the wrong way or that always rubs me the wrong way now when I see that because uh, if you go to Haiti, right, it's like, like if you see somebody coming from a different country go to a restaurant, it's like, oh my gosh, like we have a visitor here, this is so exciting, this is awesome, uh, and it's, it's almost celebrated um, versus my dad who's seen as an inconvenience um, or something that just like, it's a bother that this guy is here and doesn't speak English or is different from us. Uh, so I would say that's the main thing that I've experienced uh, more or less, or just going to different countries, or even going to, I love Quebec, Canada, right? But even going to Canada, Quebec, Canada, uh, you can see just the, there's a, there's, oh my gosh, you're different. That's celebrated, like, please, like, tell us more. Tell us more about you. Uh, versus, uh, I think, in America, especially since 9-11, traveling here, it's like, what are you doing here? 
like what's like what business do you have here like it's just so very harsh and just uh, I think out of fear for the unknown or what might happen I think sometimes uh, just our system can do a bad job at just seeing people as an inconvenience or as potential invaders uh, to, uh, to our country versus in other places, although they're not as quote unquote safe, right? But they're more, they're celebrating people that are different from us. Uh, so I'd say that, like that's the main thing that I've noticed and experienced and speaking just as a Haitian American immigrant is just the posture uh, from American society towards things that are different um, from them are things that they're not used to. Uh, so yeah. I mean, even here, you talked about a little bit with your with your dad's experience, but I mean, even just being honest here, while you've been in America, have you experienced racism yourself towards you as a black man? Yes, and again, I would say as a as a Haitian American immigrant, I think is more the lens I look at it as, right? Uh, so I mean, for us, like I mean. The, what my mom tells or told us when we were growing up was, hey, uh, you better not get pulled over, you better not get caught doing anything wrong, because the danger here is you might get deported, right? Um, so like, you better be careful. Um, so fly under the radar as much as possible. Uh, so I think for me, a lot of stuff, I mean, as weird as it sounds, kind of became norms. Hey, like, put your head down, go to school, and don't get in trouble, right? <laughs> it's just like, try to avoid being seen uh, too much or being out there too much, because you might get in trouble, you might get deported. Uh, so I think, uh, especially when I first came to America, uh, when I was 10 years old, and uh, like, you, again, you don't speak the language, so you go to school and it's just like, uh, the difference I remember when we first, this is actually a really interesting story. Uh, when I first came here, me and my cousins, um, we all went to school together, went to the same school, and like every single time we got off the bus, like, uh, we had to run, because. These three little kids would just always be throwing rocks at us. Like we would just be running and they're just throwing rocks at us. Uh, so it was just really, and that was like my first exposure to being like, wow, like this is interesting, this is different. Uh, and uh, so I would say yes, but for me, even in my lens, talking for myself, it's been more in the, wow, I'm an immigrant. Um, so because of that, I know that I'm different and I know um, that because it's taken me, it took me a while to adjust to the language. Like I have to speak um, in a way, like I think I got used to like having to work an extra mile um, to prove um, that I could be on the same playing field as anybody else. Uh, so, yeah. Well, one of the things you, you said repeatedly is just like how you identify as a Haitian American. And I think that concept of identity, like that's big time in our culture today is I mean, people, lots of people identify with their political party more than they identify with their Christianity, to be honest. And I'm curious for, for you, Marissa, um, just talk a little bit about identity from your perspective and like how you want people to see you, how you want people to know, how you even think about yourself. Um, so yeah, I think that's the biggest question I asked myself. Um, kind of, I guess, before all this blew up, I was actually on family vacation, and um, I had my phone off, didn't, didn't know about anything that was going on, and then I came back and I looked, I was like, oh my goodness, the world is exploding. This is just horrible. And I was just so overwhelmed with sadness, sadness for the people who feel like they don't matter, sadness for the people who are broken that feel like they can do that to somebody else. Just 
very overwhelmed and I kind of took it back to, okay, you know what, like Christianity isn't that complicated, right? Like my life with Christ, it's, it's a personal relationship. I can go back to the fact that I know who I am in him, right? I know the peace and the joy and the healing I have found through him. So I went back to that. Um, basically, I guess if somebody or somebody describing me or I wanted somebody to see me a certain way, I want them to see me by the fruits of the spirit, right? I want them to see me as somebody who loves Jesus and loves his people and is just and, uh, you know, all of those things. That's what I want. I don't particularly want somebody to look at me and be like, oh, she's a strong, confident black woman. I don't want that because that's this body is borrowed. Right? It's paid for by his blood. It's not mine. It's not something that attaches to my inner, my inner self. So I would much rather say some, somebody say, like, hey, you know, like, oh, Marissa, she's, she's that really sweet girl, right? Or she's so intelligent. Or she just loves God's people. That's what I want. So um, with just finding my identity, a little bit of background um, for context, I've been through a lot. Um, <laughs> Char knows. She's my best friend here, so she knows all the details. But <laughs> um, been through a lot. Grew up in a very broken home. My mom's white. My dad's black. Um, wasn't in the picture. Um, very, like, low-income family. Um, my mother, when I was seven, got into a relationship with a guy who was physically abusive to her from seven on till I was 16. Um, so that had a lot of trauma and, and turmoil, and then that transitioned into me going into foster care. I was in there for a year or so, got out of it, and um, I went back to the same school that I was at before then, and everybody kept asking me, like, oh, what? you're so happy. Like, how could you be happy after everything you've been through? How is that possible? And I was like, I, was like, I don't know. Like, at that point, I just didn't, couldn't put the words to it. And then when I got saved and I started developing my relationship with Christ, I realized it was him. He protected me through everything that I went through in my life. So every... Every hurt, every trauma, everything that I've ever, ever experienced, I've ever had that was negative, wasn't attached to me. He broke that chain for me. So um, I want people to know that I'm not a victim. So um, I don't particularly want people to apologize to me for any experience that you assume I've had or even the trauma that I've told you that I've had because it, it, it isn't me. I'm a child of God. I'm pure. I'm, I am bought by his blood. And that's how I want people to see me. So um, when... I think about that, that's, I just want to be known by the fruit of the Spirit, and by spreading his word, his gospel, his love. Um, I went to a prayer rally, actually, at Liberty Memorial a uh, couple of days ago, and one of the pastors that was there said um, that he heard people crying out in the streets when he was at a protest, and just like, where's the church at? They're not here, don't donate to the church, the church isn't here, where's the church at? And I was broke my heart, and um, I just really think this is a huge opportunity for us to answer that call, right? We have the answer. We know it's peace. We know there's healing. We know that the battle is already won. So I think that it's really important that this is, you know, the church needs to show up and um, show up in a way being identified in Christ and not in the physical skin tone he gave me. I don't want that. I want my internal to be my identity. Shar, you know, I think part, I mentioned last week how it doesn't take any courage to condemn racism because that, that's obvious. Racism is evil. It's a sin. I think what does take courage for people, though, is a willingness to ask questions and look stupid. And if I could just speak to the white people in our church what I would really 
encourage you to do is to put yourself in a position where you can ask some questions and be willing to look stupid. Uh, because I, I think there's a, many people who would say, well, racism isn't a problem for me, or I don't see color, or I don't see what the big deal is. I mean, what would you say to some stuff like that? I think, and I'm just gonna start off with a story. Um, through all of this happening, I think we all know that I'm a black woman. Um, and I love all of my church family. They're amazing, beautiful people. Christians are nice, they're so helpful. But as soon as everything hit, and I was telling Sadie this yesterday, um, as soon as everything went crazy, um, and I went to the protest here in Lawrence, um, immediately my Instagram DM blew up from all of my white friends. How can I help? What can I do? How can I do this? What's going on? I am so sorry. I apologize. And then it's one of those things. It's like, I don't want to say thank you because it shouldn't happen at all. And I don't know if I want to say thank you because, I mean, you don't praise a fish for swimming. I don't praise you for being a good, glorious person. And it's really hard to go about those things. But having a conversation even with Pastor Andrew, and he was telling me that his family grew up anti-racist. They're not racist people. They don't have any racist tendencies. But even he has to ask, is it OK for me to say something like this? And for everyone who's asking and reflecting, for his, and I was even telling Marissa, like, what helped you prepare for today? And she was like, I had to read, and I had to explore, and I had to hear stories. And that's so important to hear and read about black stories and understand them and reflect upon yourself on things that you have said. And just like how we read in Acts, you have to repent on those sins, and you have to reconcile with your black brothers and sisters and say, hey, like, I'm sorry that I made a joke about racism, like, I didn't mean it, and that's just the next step. And then for them, they'll be 100% able to make that conversation because we're not bitter, we're not angry. For us, we just wanna see change. And just like how Marissa was saying, we want our identity to be in Christ, and we wanna be looked at just like anybody else and not having to walk into a room and being like, I need a black ally. If I don't have a black ally, I'm scared and I don't know what's gonna happen. And just the same way when we look at a piece of paper, from your end it looks like it was orange, but from us it looks like blue and we're constantly seeing something different. So for anyone who's asking any questions about what I can do to help, the best way that you can do is to pray for us and all the things that we go through, but also help educate yourself and not be afraid to ask the dumb questions. And even like whenever I got saved, I mean, I was just like, is it okay for me to listen to like music with bad words? Is that okay? Am I, am I sitting? And just the same way that I wouldn't be afraid to ask that is the same way that you would want to ask me questions. I, I think if I could be so bold to just make a, a few comments. One, if you haven't uh, reached out to any of your black brothers and sisters over this time, what are you doing? You, you, you are, are missing it. Secondly, if you don't have any people in your life that you can do this with, can I tell you, you're missing it. You, you're, you're really missing it. Um, I, I think about how we were having this conversation. I, I feel like sometimes where, where we make mistakes is we can be on the side of ignorance, meaning like we don't know what we don't know, or the other side of that 
is arrogance, where we think that we're, we're, we're woke and we're with it and we're down and we don't have any more learning to do. And what I would hope really come out of this is that we'd put ourselves in a position where first we can listen, second, we can learn. And learning isn't always uh, the fun part. I, I think when it comes to wanting to show support, uh, we can opt in for symbolism and miss out on substance. Here's what I mean. I'm not down on anybody posting a hashtag, doing something on social media, use your voice. I think all of that's great. Um, but we have to make sure we're not just doing something for show and missing out on substance. And what I want to tell you is uh, sometimes it's the stuff that isn't visible that's the most valuable. Nobody's going to see you uh, reading a book, educating yourself on race. That has value. Nobody's going to see you sitting down and having a conversation saying, can I just have permission to ask some stupid questions? What does the paper look like from your perspective? No, nobody's going to see you maybe doing the hard work and think, OK, well, maybe it's not a problem for me, but am I actively being anti-racist? Meaning like, OK, it's not a problem for me, but what about in my family? Let's take it a step further. What about for my parents? Okay, let's take it a step further. What about for their parents? Um, I, I remember my dad telling me a story when he was starting out in ministry. My dad was a Methodist pastor. Starting out in ministry, one of his first appointments, a black couple came to him and said uh, they, they wanted to get married. The church that my dad was pastoring at the, the board said he couldn't do it. Now, thankfully, my dad did it anyway. But what I'm saying is that's one generation. That's only one generation away removed from me. And so we have to really think through, like, what am I doing to be part of the solution? Um, One, one thing you said, Marissa, is I don't want anybody to apologize to me or, or, or feel, feel sorry for me. I appreciate your perspective uh, on who you are in Christ. I don't think anybody, um, I mean, I, I know all of you pretty well. I don't think any black person is looking for uh, a white person to come say, I'm sorry and feel guilty. I, I think probably if I could speak, what's helpful is to be part of the solution. Maybe some people feel bad. Maybe some people feel outraged. Whatever you feel, whether it's, it's sadness or outrage, it needs, to, it needs to lead to an outcome where, where, where we can be acknowledge that there is a disparity. Say, I'm going to do something about it. I'm not just going to see it. I'm going to sit. I, I listen to... Uh, conversation that Stephen Furtick had, he said something that I loved. He said that to celebrate diversity and not acknowledge the disparity is hypocrisy. And I think if we could just be honest and say that, that there has been 
some disparity and that it really is our responsibility as a church to be about the ministry of reconciliation, we would see change. Not apologizing, but, but really being part of solutions. I was having a conversation with one of our staff a number of weeks back before a lot of the injustices went mainstream on the news before it was on people's fore forefront of their minds. Completely different conversation, but we were just talking about support. He was asking, hey, how can I support you? And that, that thought um, stuck with me. Later on that day, I just started jotting down some notes and ideas about what does support look like? Um, I want to read it to you. It was a completely different context, but I think support extends even in that situation to what it looks like in this scenario. First of all, support is never silent. Support is never invisible. Support is solutions-oriented. Support looks to involve others. Support costs something, whether it's time, whether it's energy, whether it's money, maybe just costs you your comfort. And support must be sustained. So as I've got together with, with our team as a church, thinking what can we do to be a support, this stuff was on the back of my mind. And the first thing is, I just want to say, it's not my job to try and, and change the world. I'm not even trying to impact our city, but I just know that God has called me to lead our church. But I believe that if I can lead our church well, then we can change our city and we can change the world. So I want to start with us and what we're going to do as a church. And one of the things we're going to do is we're going to commit to speak against injustice to speak up for those who are oppressed. Definitely not going to be silent. We're going to commit to serve. We're, we're going to be visible, locking arms with our black brothers and sisters. And we're going to supply. I mean, we are going to prioritize investing and resourcing the black community in ways that moves us towards racial reconciliation. So one of the things we're gonna do starting today is we're partnering with an organization called Be A Bridge. And you can Google them for yourself, but uh, Be A Bridge is an organization that works to break down systematic racism and unjust systems by providing racial awareness, training, and support. So we're, we're going to partner with them. We're giving them $1,000 today. We're also, Serve 785 is going to work with them to become a local extension of what they do here in Lawrence. And so that's how we're going to start. But it can't stay there. And we've got to all continue to do our part. I just want to remind you that all of us have been given this 
ministry of reconciliation. Reconciling men to God, but can I tell you, <laughs> Jesus said, how will people know that you're my disciples unless you love one another? It's gotta be demonstrated right here in our church. So my prayer would be that this week, you would have a conversation. Sit down and have a conversation with somebody that looks different than you. Be willing to listen. Be willing to learn. Ask some stupid questions. And then be willing to lead. Make a difference. That's what God has called us to do. That's what a Holy Spirit church looks like. I believe in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Catholic Church. The communion of saints and the forgiveness of sins. I would just ask that maybe you're watching this. I believe God is speaking to your heart. I know maybe it's been uncomfortable for you. Uh, I, I would pray that you would take some action, maybe some stuff that's not always visible, but take some action. But maybe where you need to start is in your heart. And you might be here and you don't know Jesus as the Lord of your life. Can I tell you, I'm not asking you to follow a church. I'm asking you to follow Jesus and to follow his example where he laid down his life so he could be a bridge. If you wanna do that today and make the decision to trust in Jesus, I would like to lead you in a prayer. Scripture says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have messed up. But it also says if you repent of your sin, repent for the ways you've missed it, how you've rejected God, places where you've messed up, and you turn to God, say, God, I repent, but I believe in what you did for me, how you died on the cross for my sin, and you got up from the grave. Scripture says that you can be forgiven and you can be saved. I'd like to lead you in a prayer right now. If you've never done that or you want to do that, you need a fresh start with God. Just right where you're at, would you repeat this after me? Say, Lord Jesus, I recognize my need for you. And I believe in what you did for me. How you died on the cross for my sin. And you got up from the grave. Come live in me so that I can live in you. Thank you for it. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen.